Well, hello, church. We'll, we'll give that a, um, there we go. There's the voice. It's, it's been fun so far for me, but then I haven't had to sit down and listen to me. So there you are. Um, and, and thank you, Harley, for sharing your pulpit. That's a very gutsy thing to do at the best of times. And ever you bring in somebody from Tennessee that sounds like me, it's even worse. Um, I, I was in a shop years and years and years ago in South Carolina talking to my son at the time, and we were blethering, as you see, in Glasgow, Scotland. And uh, the the little girl come, shopkeeper looks at us, and she goes, where are you all from? I, I said, Detroit, because that's where we were at the time. And um, that didn't seem to satisfy her as much as I thought it might. So eventually she said, I, I wish I had your accent. And I looked at her, and I said, you could have, but you shot us. So... <laughs> <clears throat> We went away, and that's what you got now. Um, but in Tennessee, what I hear most often is, oh, I wish I had an accent. I'm going, seriously? Seriously? Uh, but yes, we've been in Tennessee for four years, and we love it there. The Fourth Avenue Church sends its greetings to you. They're moving into classes now. We start with worship and then go on to classes. That way, it makes sure the minister doesn't go too far too long because the kids are leaving. They're just leaving. And that uh, the parents always, oh, you have to show them away. Um, we are the family of God and uh, the subject given to me was spiritual warfare of the church we've been talking about that a, a bit yesterday as well as with the Holy Spirit we're going we're gonna to go a little different direction with spiritual warfare we want to talk about the good guys well, you're not alone very often in your life you're going to feel alone I want to talk to you about feelings I used to be a shrink and so I, I know about feelings then I became a neuroscientist, so I didn't have to talk about them anymore. But um, I want to give you an illustration. I, I learned to fly, small airplane. And that was a lot of fun, uh, most of the time. But then they showed me something, which I've never forgotten. They they put me in the, the, the plane, but then they put a little hood on me, so all I could see are the instruments. The idea is you're going to learn to trust your instruments. That made me dizzy and the like, but I worked pretty well with it. But I didn't get the main idea until they took the hood off and I went up again into the clouds. Then I was told they, they blocked the instruments and they said, get us straight and level. I got it straight and level. He said, are you good? Yeah, good. Come out of the cloud like that. Your feelings don't really tell you a fact. We need to know that. You'll be, you're told love is blind. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's also pretty stupid. Uh, it, it can be incredibly deaf, dumb, blind, stupid, limp, lame, everything. You have to, we have to go on facts sometimes. And there are facts of the universe that occur beyond our ability to see them. We are not living in a Descartian world. And I need to describe that to most of you. Descartes, Rene Descartes was a, a philosopher who first really pushed, and it took hold, and, it, and we are all living in that world today, the idea of dualism, that there is spiritual and there is physical. The Bible says they're the same. In fact, Paul would even go so far as to say, if you unite with your body, with that of a prostitute, you have joined in a fellowship on a spiritual level with somebody that is not God. And you talk, he talks about all these interweavings. God could have done it on his own. He could have handled it on his own. God created us. And we talked yesterday about why, why he might have, and that is his abundance of love. But I'm pretty sure 
that we're going to know more about it when we get to heaven. I have friends of mine that will say, oh, when I get to heaven, that's going to be one of the questions I ask God. I just want to go on the record right here. I'm not asking a single question. I'm not annoying anybody. Just in case they want to check to make sure a clerical error was not made. I am okay. Just, I am fine. God chooses to work with you. You are never alone, even when you feel alone. There's even a British soccer team that that's their song. It's so odd as they're in the stands and you'll see them all sweat. And they're called stands because there are no seats in a British soccer stand. They don't, they're not in the seats, they're in the stands. And so they're all, they're weaving back and forth singing, you'll never walk alone. I don't know where that got started, but okay, that's fine. They're, they're English. Nobody can figure them out. You don't walk alone. There is a council of the holy ones. The book of Job, which is the most ancient book of our scripture, it is not the book telling the oldest story. That would have to be Genesis. But the first one out there, first one written, was most probably Job. Because it has a language which is so difficult. It's such an early form of the language. It never mentions Jerusalem, the law, Abraham, Isaac. It never mentions any of this. These guys were early on struggling. But when it opens up, where is God holding a council? Does God know all things? Yeah. Can God do all things? Yes. All things that are consistent with his character. God cannot lie. There are some things he told us he cannot do because they're inconsistent with his character. But for some reason, God has chosen to do it in a group. its I'm sure it's just a story. I'm pretty sure it never actually happened. But it's well known in Britain, the story of the woman getting on the bus with, with 10 kids. And the bus driver saying, are those all yours or is that a picnic? And she's saying, they're all mine and it's no picnic. <clears throat> but there are times you really like to work with the group. My wife and I go on vacation a lot uh, when we can. We go by ourselves and we're quiet. But every two or three vacations, we take as many as we can with us. We're going to take a cruise this next January, which we generally do. But this time, we're, we've already booked 30 cabins with friends and such. We're not paying. Yeah, when we, they, they pay. I'm Scottish. I'm not an idiot. Um, <laughs> and this isn't one of those things, and I know you can do them, where if you bring enough, yours is free. No, we're all paying our way. But we hope to book another 30, because sometimes it's fun in a group. But the thing is, with the group, there will be also some slowing down. There'll be some changes. There'll be some concerns. It always happens. So why would God complicate his life? I don't know. But the Bible has a lot to say about those who work with God. Those who are in the council of God. We first think of angels, and there are varieties of angels. They're not all the same. Each has a different job, and it would seem a different temperament. They move about in different places, and they they act in different ways that, well, let's just go through them, shall we? The word means messenger, but most angels don't show up to give you a message from God. It is what they are doing actively around us now, which is the message of God. I People have asked, have you ever seen angels? And that's a private question, so I don't go there very far. But what I do tell them is, if you do see an angel in your room, ask, once you recover consciousness, ask ask, the, ask it your, their name. If it says, Gabriel, good news. Fluff up the pillow, I'm all ears. Michael, you're dead. It's over. Forget it. We're not, don't try to reach for the gun. I know you have one, but no, it's not going to work. 
at all. <laughs> we have, we invited a bunch of Muslims to come to our worship a few months ago and about 60, 61 did. And it was great. Some imams alike and it was wonderful. They, they came, spent the day with us. We learned quite a lot and they, they asked questions continually. It was great. Well, I told the church where we were inviting them. We didn't get a complaint except from one lady. She says, are you going to, are you going to pat them down when they come in? I went, no. Well, are you going to check for bombs? No. Well, what if they bring a gun? I said, this is Tennessee. That's assumed. I'm assuming everybody's got one of those. It's kind of like you, you don't have one here. You know, it, it's just, they stop you at the border from Kentucky just to make sure, you know. Kentuckians are nice people. They bring two to share. Um, they, <laughs> but the word angel means a messenger. And we have to see in the, in the text when it says messenger, whether it's talking about earthly or heavenly, Galatians chapter one is probably the best example of how that has to be differentiated when he says, though we are an angel, tell you anything else. And he says, though we are an angel from heaven to show you they can be earthly, they can be heavenly but they are angels. His power surrounds us when we don't even see it. One of my favorite stories, Old Testament, is Elisha and Gehazi. Here here we go. The king of the Arameans wants to kill the Jewish king. But every time he lays a trap, the Jewish king knows what's coming and isn't there. He goes somewhere else. This frustrates him no end. So he brings all of his prophets in and says, where are we going wrong? Is there somebody here that is a mole, is a spy for the king of Israel? They're going, no, no, no. The king of Israel has a prophet. And that prophet hears from God when you're in, whenever you're trying to kill his king. So he tells him. And the king goes, well, let's go kill the prophet. Now, I see a flaw in the plan immediately. Uh, if, the, if, if the prophet knows what you're doing when you want to kill the king, he probably knows what you're doing when you're coming after him. But let's just move on, shall we? We don't want to drag the story down here. So the servant of uh, Elisha gets up in the morning, looks out the window and panics. They are surrounded by the Arameans. They are there to kill them. Prophet doesn't even go look. just says, Lord, open his eyes to show him what is there. Notice what he does not say. He does not say, send your angels. He does not say, take an action to bring us help. He assumes there's already help in the area. And he shows him. The servant looks out and there are chariots of fire everywhere. And that's where the, the, the movie Chariots of Fire about Eric Liddell all got its name. They were out. There. In fact, George Lucas got some of his ideas at Star Wars from that story because the prophet walks out and God just clouds the king's mind. And he basically, these are, this is not the prophet you are looking for. And he walks him into the capital city of his enemy without the king even understanding it. No, no, just watch me. Everything's fine. And they walk right in and they're captured. We're not alone. They were already there. Messages were given, for example, at the shepherds at Jesus's birth to the faithful women at the tomb and to Daniel. Now, Daniel's a cautionary tale, actually, but also a very encouraging one. We'll look at him in just a moment. Well, we can talk about it now. Daniel chapter 4 shows that there are angels called watchers. And those watchers, and, and I'm, I love the NIV, I really do, but it weeds out some of these terms that really need to have been left in there. And that's one of them. It'll say a certain man. No, the, the scripture says watcher was standing there. Who is that? That's an angel guarding an area so that something God wants done is done. 
that whenever Daniel is talking to an angel, that conversation has to be protected. So there's a watcher over here, there's one across the river over there, and there's one behind. And a couple times in Daniel, they'll even say, hurry up. They've got some other things they got to get to. Something is going about to happen. They're out there and they are watching. They are protecting. They do not want you to look for them, by the way. Perhaps I should bring that up. There are people that want to, you know, I'd like to find my angel. I'd like to talk to. No, they, they, they're not interested. You find an angel that wants to have a relationship with you. It doesn't come from God. Because all angels just want you to look at Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Look up at him. Daniel also gives us a cautionary tale. He's reading uh, the, the book of Jeremiah, actually. And in Jeremiah, it says that the people of Israel will be in captivity for 70 years. And if they have repented, then they get to go home. Well, Daniel does math and he realizes we're right up on the 70 year here fairly soon. And my people have not repented. And he is so distraught that his people might disappear forever in captivity that God sends him help. He goes off into the desert area and he prays and he prays and he prays and he prays. Three weeks later, an angel shows up and says, the first thing he says, I want you to hear. Oh, Daniel, you are highly esteemed in heaven. Have you ever thought of this? You might think, well, Daniel was. No, no, hang on. God knows how hard this is. He sent Jesus to show us, I'll walk it with you. I know this is hard. That's why he forgives us. That's why he loves us. And you might think, I'm just the worst Christian in the world. Paul thought he was. Do you think God esteemed Paul highly? Oh, I do. I esteem Paul highly. And I bet he esteems you highly as well. Don't, what's, what's God going to say to you and, and uh, as we enter? Well done. Are you going to differ with him? Well, you know that Tuesday, that was a bad day. Yeah, did you remember Tuesday? No, I'm just going, exactly. Yes, yes, I did. I was quite well. I, I'm, I, was, I think I was the model, frankly. And, and just skip in, skip in, mumble, uh, point behind, create a diversion, but just get in. That's all, that's all I'm interested in. Then the angel says, from the moment you began praying, I've been trying to get to you. Three weeks. Three weeks he'd been trying to get to him, Daniel 10. But he was held back by spiritual warfare. He had to fight some angels and he said, I couldn't get here this early if Michael hadn't shown up to take over my fight, but I've only got a little while. There are watchers around and I got to get out of here. In fact, when Daniel faints dead at the sight of this angel, they get him up saying, we don't have time for this. Number one command Jesus gave, fear not. And in the Old Testament, time and time again, angels say, don't be afraid. Why do we not live as we should? We're afraid. That's sad, isn't it? But I want you to remember that the world's fighting you on this. The world wants you to think you're alone and you're vulnerable. So all of the commercials are about either that your money, you're going to outlive your money, or you're going to die too soon. Well, I'm sorry. There's got to be a medium there where you, you know, (laughs) I went to an art museum once and and, because I have to, married to a woman of culture. And uh, so so I walked through and uh, we were the only two on the tour and the tour guide was panicked because he was thinking, right, uh, there are only two. I live on tips and one of them Scottish. This is not going to go well. We got through the very end and, and you know how that goes. They spool up this story and he, he 
going for all the pathos there. He goes, and he died penniless. And I, I tried not to say it. I tried, but I don't have really good verbal breakage. And it, it leapt out. I said, good timing. Because it is. It is. Spend your last penny, eat your last Krispy Kreme, fall over, see Jesus. That, my friend, that's a good ending right there. But the world wants you terrified. This is the only country I've ever lived in where they can advertise prescription drugs you're not allowed to go get. They don't even tell you what they're for half the time. And then they'll even, and then there's a drug for depression. I'm not making this up. Where they even read the, the side effects and one of them's death. That's not a side effect. That's a terminal effect. You know, oh, it killed them. But they were feeling, you know, pretty good. Uh, uh, the world wants to keep you terrified. The angels say, fear not. We're fighting for you. Well, what if it takes them three weeks to get to you? You know something? It might take 35 years to get to you because Michael's not going to run to everybody's aid. He's got other things to do. But just be aware, we got to keep praying. What if Daniel had stopped? I don't know. I don't know. I've heard sermons where if Daniel had stopped, they would have not come to him. I don't know that. All I can just say is it's a good thing he kept praying. And isn't it nice to know we are highly esteemed in heaven? That's just amazing. They're called in Psalm 29 and also uh, Psalm 103, the mighty ones. Remember, one of them in one night killed 185,000 Assyrian warriors. One of them. There was, it used to be a TV show. I never saw it, but I, uh, I saw bits and pieces of commercials for it called Touched by an Angel. They were touched by an angel, <clears throat> and it wasn't pleasant. I heard a sermon once where the guy said, the next morning they all woke up dead. And I'm going, uh, no. <clears throat> that's a little walking dead for me. I don't think that that's what's, what happened here. Angels are watchers. They are guardians. Some are law and order angels. Three of them coming by Abraham's tent. And they say, we've heard an outcry against Sodom, Gomorrah. We're going over there to see if the outcry is true. Two of those were angels. One was the son of God. And they're walking on the earth saying, we've heard enough prayers and complaints. We're going to check out this town. Now think of that. Because a lot of us just think of God up in heaven pulling all the levers. No, they're, they're walking around. They're, the, the scripture says, you might have entertained one and not been aware of it. It's kind of, people go, Ooh, no, fear not. They're on our side. They're all with us. In the plagues of Egypt, they were the ones who did them. In the book of Numbers, chapter 11, they were the ones who um, walked among the, the ungrateful and killed the ungrateful. By the way, God puts up with a whole lot of sins. He really does. You read the Old Testament, he puts up with a ton of sins. Read the New Testament. Woman caught in adultery, Jesus says, I don't condemn you either. Go and change your life. Did you notice the order of that? He wasn't condemning her before she changed her life. God forgives an awful lot, but you know what drives God to judgment and harshness very quickly? Read it. Go from Genesis to Revelation. It's complainers. The ungrateful and complainers. On a cruise ship, you can eat all you want, all you want to, all the time. I I don't want to because <laughs> I, I keep thinking, I got to go back to, first of all, the rooms are small and I got to be able to get in. So that's that's important. But it breaks my heart because almost every cruise, you'll see one family 
where the teenage kids or something are, I don't like anything here. And every night they have mac and cheese. And you're going, really? They said, you know, mac and cheese might be all right for a time or two, but you have all of this and you got to complain. Be careful. God doesn't care for that. Neither do the angels. One of my favorite names for the angels is hornets. Now, that's not in the NIV either. Uh, they, they've changed that out. They, they'll put it in an Avenger or something like this. But that's in Exodus chapter 23, 23, and also in 33 and verse 2, the hornets. Now, a hornet, I found this in America as well. When you cross a, a state or an area border, they give different names to different of these beasties. The hornet is the large stinging one, larger than a wasp. Motorcyclists know them because if you're going along and all of a sudden it hits you in the forehead, it can knock you off. They, they have a lot of weight for that little thing, and they're nasty. They will find you. They'll come at you. And the Bible refers to some angels as the hornets who went ahead of the army. That way Israel was able to win time after time because the hornets were already on the field. There are more and more of these. When I was a boy, they used to do Bible trivia sometimes, you know. They'd bring you up on Sunday night or the like or on Wednesday night, and the kids would get to answer Bible questions. And one of them was, was, um, are women, are, are there women angels in the Bible? And we all learned to say, no, they're not. Um, I want you to think, I want you later to go read Zechariah. I know, Zechariah, your favorite book. You probably have it memorized. It's, <laughs> Don't you hope there's not a pop quiz when you get up there? And they tell us in order all the tribes in the first part of Second Corinthians. No, you know, that sort of thing. There, there won't be one. Don't panic. You know, uh, the, <laughs> you're not going to be asked the question. Uh, Jesus will be. Do you know them? That's it. You'll be good. Uh, because you know him. You're, you're, you're saved. Get over it. It's a happy thing. But Zechariah chapter 5 has two women with wings coming from heaven with a pot and they're flying away with it whenever God stops them and tells Zechariah, look inside and they lift the lid and evil is inside. Now, of course, this is a vision. Of course, we're dealing with metaphor, but there are two females with wings removing evil from the earth and protecting the people of Israel. So the next question they would ask was, do angels have wings? And everybody was supposed to say no. And I'm going, um, some do. And there are other beings which certainly have wings, cherubs and seraphs. Ezekiel's story is a hard one, really is. Orthodox Jews won't let the people read Ezekiel until they're at least 30 years old because they believe it'll disturb them too much. Ezekiel was the Picasso of the prophets. He couldn't preach like the other prophets. He didn't know how to communicate with all the big metaphors and the like. And so God allowed his mind to do sermons such as rearranging pots outside of his house, creating a hole in his house and going in and out, taking different articles. He was a performance artist is who he was. He was a Picasso just to get the people of God that could resonate with that. But his story started as a captive in a foreign land. I want you to imagine the refugee camp. The fires are going up all around the refugee camp. It's smoky. It's awful. There's a drainage ditch. The Bible calls it the River Chibar. But the River Chibar at that stage was more of a drainage ditch. If you've been in countries, third world countries, you know that it is rank. It stinks with sewage and and garbage. Ezekiel had wanted to be a priest, but he was captured partway through 
this time. And he's never going to be able to be a priest. He's never going to be able to serve God in Jerusalem. All of his dreams are done. And he stands out there outside the refugee camp on the other side of a stinking river, lost with everything taken from him. And then he looks up and sees something coming. The clouds are moving toward him, but they're not clouds. They're boiling. Something is boiling and alive in this thing, and it's twisting, and he's getting glimpses of swords and eyes and hooves and big mane of light. He's just seeing all these things twisting, and he keeps trying to explain what he's seeing. One of the good exercises to do is to go through Ezekiel and chapter 1, for example. There are a few others. Circle all the times he says, like, 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 because there are no words for what he's seeing. He's having to try to describe it. These things move so fast that no matter which way you turn, they're already facing you. And there are several of them. He talks about the wings on them. They are lightning, smoke, fire, glowing metal, faces, eyes, thunder, wheels, such fast motion that it spun like wheels in the air. And of course, the old uh, spiritual, Ezekiel saw the wheels, wheels, wheels spinning in the air. These wheels are beings, not, and they don't look like wheels. He's just trying to describe how they spin so fast. They are the cherubim. Now, in most versions today, we'll say cherubs. Uh, let me explain the difference here. In Hebrew, to make something plural, you put an I-N after it, if it's male, or an OT after it, if it's female. So you have mitzvah, mitzvahut. You have cherub, cherubim. And we don't pronounce I, im, and so we say cherubim. But so in most versions, they'll just say cherubs. When we think of cherubs, you think of Valentine's Day, which is this week, guys. Thanks for the heads up. There you are. Pay attention. The, um, yeah, I always thought the flowers thing. I, I give my wife flowers. I still don't get it. Here, I saw something beautiful, so I've killed it, and I want you to watch it die. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Not so strange it is. I like to go by the cemetery because they're already pre-killed. And you, you, no, I'll ask, are you done with that? Then, but anyway, it's moving on. These cherubs uh, don't aren't little babies with wings. These are mighty warriors that show up when God is on his way into an area. Sometimes I call them the advanced guard of God, although anything like this doesn't really work, right? Because God doesn't need guards. He doesn't need a bodyguard. But they always go ahead of him. Whenever a temple is rededicated, what happens? Smoke and fire and thunder and faces and swords and lightning and trumpet. And then God shows up. The cherubs came in first. They're out there. They're here. You cannot be where they are not. They're not omnipresent. It's just that they move a lot faster than our time moves. They can... They can move in a different way than we move in linear time. They're the ones who guarded the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were kicked out. Make sure that that didn't fall to somebody else and they didn't get back in. They were placed on top of the tabernacle. They were placed on the Ark of the Covenant. In Isaiah 37, we're told they stand on both sides of God's throne. These are amazing beings. We learn more of it from Jewish tradition than we do from Scripture. But they're in there, and it is amazing. I can remember 
the first time I had a bodyguard, and this was about probably 20, 15 years ago or so, uh, I was preaching at the Hills in Fort Worth. Rick actually is a friend of mine, and he asked me to preach that Sunday. Right before I got up, he said, do you see that man there on the third, fourth row? And he didn't have that accent, but that's what he said. And, and, and I said, I said, yes. He goes, that's your guy. And I'm thinking, my guy, I, uh, you're assigned people here. Is it my buddy system? You know, what do we do? Yeah. Don't be baptized without a buddy. I'm not sure how this works. And he goes, no, he's your security. He says, if you see something which looks like you or the church can be in danger, you just give him the signal and he'll get you out of here. I went, okay, okay then. So I stood up and I was preaching about 10 minutes before I realized I don't know the signal. (laughs) What if the signal is Ezekiel and I want to talk about him? You know, how's this? It it, it turned out to be all right. But anyway, God doesn't need a bodyguard, but he has them. And it's the best words we can use for this. They come when God does. An example of this would be 2 Samuel 22. If you want to read that, starting at verse 7. But there are other beings that seem very, very similar but they're not. They are the seraphs. For a long time, people thought seraphs meant singers. And because of their something in their being, of the way they vibrated as they went through the air, it sounded like singing. We now know that that was wrong. In fact, we even talk about sweetest note. Don't worry. Uh, People say, are you dying? Well, yeah, but so are you. Um, I'm just, just allergic to things. Anyway, Sweetest note of seraph song. Eh, their singing is not that. It's a fire. They, it means the burning ones. They are so intense and so full of energy and power, they burn. They're only mentioned by name in one place, Isaiah 6. They are described, however, exactly the same way Isaiah does in Revelation chapter 4. So they are out there. They're with him. When they move, the scripture always says the ground thunders and shakes. Now, you guys would know more about that because you live in the land of storms, right? You know, by the time it gets to us, the storm's pretty dead. (coughs) That's all it has. It is, it has wasted itself upon Oklahoma. And I always just think, wow, it's just like kind of like this is where it all comes right here. Well, this thunder and shaking of the ground as they step forward to make sure the will of God is known and done in Isaiah. But they also lead the worship in heaven. And I always appreciate, I heard how long Steve has to drive to get here to lead worship. And I appreciate that very much. And I was thinking, and I was also impressed because um, the different songs we had today, you, you may not know this, the different songs we had today were in different keys. And he didn't stop. He went from one to the other. That's a gift. Most people have to stop for a little bit, renegotiate with life, um, perhaps have that little Church of Christ note cookie uh, that, uh, you know, that, that's only found in Churches of Christ in the wild, uh, is a note cookie. And um, can't play a tune because we made it round so that you're not tempted to do that. But then they'll check and they'll back up and they'll go, but well done. I was going E flat to, to uh, we went from E to F and I was going, People don't do that. That's pretty cool. I describe Nashville as a town of 800,000 white people that clap on one and three. So it is, it is, it, it's, it's so great to see, you know, somebody that can actually pull this off. Well done. Uh, yeah. And, and Nashville people stop all the time saying stop clapping because they're just all over the place. And, you know, we, we need a clapping instructor. Anyway, 
The seraphs lead this in worship. And then there are other beings that we are only told their names, but we know nothing. They are mysteries. The Kedushim. In Psalm 89, verses 6 through 8, they'll show up a couple of other places as well. Job and Revelation, they are part of the court of God. He talks to them. They work together. God likes to reason and work in a group. You are part of the group. This is why, and it just amazes me. People are always afraid to make any decisions or do any changes. God said to you through Jesus, if you agree about something down here, we'll agree with it up there. Let's walk together. And that just blows people's minds. But he means it. He's giving us freedom to move and change. God's in absolutely control of the, of the assembly, obviously, but the Kedeshim, they are there for a purpose. There are the sons of God, the Bene Elohim. They're the angelic rulers over sections of people or earth. They rule over different territories. You remember in Daniel, it was called the prince of this, or the prince of that, to the prince. But these beings, Deuteronomy 4.19, for example, they show up there. They're mentioned throughout Job, throughout the Psalms. Then in Revelation 4, the 24 elders. I always tell my elders, you better be nice, because only 24 are making it out of a whole thing. No, there are some, some who believe that that's a, a symbolic number, meaning uh, representatives from the tribes of Israel and the apostles. But we have no way to know. But there are people that are beings that God refers to as elders that are at work for us doing other things. We know that they are surrounded with lightning and thunder again and crowns of gold. But we know nothing more about them. And as they are in the, the throne room of God, they sing, and they talk about you, and they move back and forth so fast, doing work for you. You are part of this. You never have to walk alone. Again, I stress, don't look for them or ask for them. Look for Jesus. Ask for Jesus. Back to when I was learning how to fly a plane. It's been 30 years since I did this because we sold the plane to go back to Scotland for a while. But we had a little fabric wing airplane, and it was a lot of fun. But it was, I was getting time for me to learn to solo, or, or to be allowed to solo, rather. But I had to grease a certain number of landings. This became difficult. Planes don't like to land. They like flying. And I, you know, there are times that you think, all right, they turn off the engine, they fall. No, they, they don't want to come down. And so here we're floating, and, and I'm going to bounce, bounce, bounce. And he says, hit it, and go, throw the throttle all the way in, going around, bounce. This, it was probably just three times, but I was frustrated beyond measure at this stage. And he said, do it again. I'm going, and he goes, I want to see, I want to watch something. So I'm doing everything right by the book. And he goes, oh, you're looking down. I looked at him. I said, down is where I'm going. I'd like to know when I've arrived at down visually rather than by having Oh, let's say an undercarriage go through my skull. He goes, no, you need to look at the far end of the runway. That made zero sense to me. Went around though, looked zero at the far side and greased every landing. I looked at him and said, how does this work? And he says, you need to look where you want to end up, not where you're going. He wasn't a Christian, but I have never forgotten that. Very often in shepherd meetings, we, our elders like to be called shepherds because that's all they do. They don't do deacon work, administration. They do shepherding. 
uh, the, uh, the, in our shepherds meetings, we don't worry about this, that, or the other. We look where we're going. In our worship planning and the like, we look where we're going. We don't worry about minutia or the like. We don't, don't let the daily care crowd out where we're going, where we want to be. Let's keep our eyes, as Martin Luther King Jr. would have said, on the prize. Let's keep it out there where we're going. These hidden ones, I call them, Revelation 19, 3 through 7, cry, holy, holy, holy. And they invite you into that as well. Checking my time. I'm about out of time here, but I want to do something before I, I quit. In a moment, there's going to be an invitation song here. We'll stand and, and Steve will help us sing that. Harley's here. Your elders are here. Your, your ministers are here. They love you. If you need to talk to them, come up and talk to them during the song. They'll take care of things. They'll help you the best they can. But before we do that song, I want to do a visual with you. And I'm aware I'm walking out of camera here. And you'll be able to hear the people on the internet rejoicing when I do that. But I want to give you a preview of something. This is going to happen to you. So you need to think about it. When we look at the images of heaven, the scripture says, you come in through a gate. Now the gate's guarded by an angel. Don't mess with an angel. You've learned this by now. But the angel's going to look at you and see something on you, which is called the mark of God. Don't look for it. They can see it. He's going to smile and step aside and wave you in. As you walk in, there are going to be circles. In the very center, there's a throne. But that's way a bit. That's that's off there now. Circles of people and the Kedeshim, the Bene Elohim, the uh, 24 elders, the seraphs, the cherubs, all of these are around, spinning in the air, around, and they're shouting for you. And you're looking around, and there are the holy ones that you've known all of your life. Some of them are your family that have predeceased you. Uh, in Hebrews 12, it says that they're here right now. When you took communion, they took it with you. They were here. The uh, We have a sergeant, in our t- a retired sergeant in our room, or our church, that lost four of his best friends in a tank battle one day. And one of the reasons he will never miss communion is because he said, that's the only time I'm with my my buddies. He comes around the table. But you can also look, and there's there's Paul, and there's Peter, and there's over there there's John, and there's Mary, and the other Mary, and the other Mary. There are a lot of Marys. And, and you're, but as you get up closer, you see that God and Jesus are on the throne, and you're being moved, and they're cheering. According to, to Revelation and Hebrews, they are, it's a standing ovation for you. And then when you look back, Jesus isn't sitting on the throne. Because he won't. If you look in scripture, when one of Jesus' people dies, like Stephen, and in the book of Revelation, Jesus stands. And you're going to see it. And he's going to stand for you. And I'm not going to be one of those ministers that goes, you better not miss it. Look at Jesus. That's where you're going. You'll get there. I'm not going to be saved because I'm good. I'm going to be saved because he promised. Do not miss this. Do not miss that scene. Keep your eyes on our God. Let's stand and sing.